Good to see everybody. I hope you had a great week. So glad you're with us today. This is part two and the last in a very short series that we told God's plan for prosperity. Now, I always like to make a statement and a disclaimer. The Bible has a pattern and a recipe for everything in life. God gives us a pattern to have a good marriage. Most people just ignore it, end up divorced. We're not against or want to condemn anybody for that pain, but I'll guarantee you, you didn't follow the pattern. Then there's a pattern for good health. There's a pattern for relationships. He that has friends must show himself friendly. God has a pattern for finance. So don't separate the two. God has a pattern for heaven. What's God's pattern for heaven? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's got nothing to do with my money. That's got nothing to do with my marriage. That's got nothing to do with my relationships. God's got a pattern for those. So I'm trying to show you that when you use that word prosperity, it's just one piece of God's good news of bringing a little bit of heaven down to earth in all areas of our life. God wants me to prosper in my marriage. God wants me to prosper in my health. God wants me to prosper in my finances. God wants me to prosper in my relationships. I pray that you might prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers, John said. Well, I'm in for that. How about you? Yeah, some of you need update. I'm, I'm big into that. Now, every now and then, a word gets corrupted, and the word prosperity has often been corrupted by some pretty sleazy people who uh, go around and use manipulation and intimidation in order to exploit people. Prosper <coughs> prosperity does not mean everybody gets a Rolls Royce and a mansion. Prosperity in a third world country where I was recently and will be again could be electricity, running water, and a motorbike, and food for the whole family. In that relative condition, that's a guy who's prospering, right? <clears throat> if you lived there, you'd find out. Some of you need to leave America for about a week. You'll, you'll think you just died and went to heaven when you come home. <laughs> so I'm trying to say prosperity means more than enough. It's a blessed life. My needs are met. I've got enough left over to help others. My family needs are met. It's all relative. And then you add into the equation, some of you have more gifts, more talent, more skill, more education. Well, guess what? If you put those to use, you're going to do better than someone who has left less talent, less gifting. Does that make sense? Well, for crying out loud, that's just common sense. And common sense isn't very common anymore. Okay, so I don't want you to get any weird ideas. So I'm going to talk about this is the last in that series on God's plan and God's promises to prosper us, to give us a blessed life. This is how He wants us to do well in our money. And by the way, it's not how to go to heaven. You can go to heaven broker than the Ten Commandments, okay? You can go to heaven with ten divorces. That's not God's will, but you could because it's not a qualification for heaven. Jesus is the only qualification for heaven. But I want a little more than heaven. I want a little heaven on earth. So let's see what God has to say. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11 says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. How much? Everything in heaven and earth. Uh, you thought you bought it. Now you're just a steward of it. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Now we said last time we spoke there were two options in God's Word. 
poverty or prosperity? How many of you would rather choose prosperity? If I gave an altar call and said, get down here right now, and I'm going to lay hands on you for a spirit of poverty to come on you, I don't think I'd have a big altar call. Money often brings out the worst in some people. Bill was dating Mary. Mary was dating Harry. Bill said to Mary, gee, I don't have a five-bedroom home like Harry. I don't have a Rolls Royce like Harry. I don't have a yacht or a jet like Harry. But I love you, Mary. And Mary said, I love you too, Bill. But can you tell me more about Harry? <laughs> God has a plan for our prosperity that's well established in His Word. And I can testify that by living these economical principles in God's Word for over 54 years, by golly, they work or I would have already bailed. I started these economic principles when I was 18 years old. And I didn't become a Christian till I was 27. Economic principles work if you use what God said, even if you're not a believer in Jesus. Uh, you can have a good marriage and not be a believer in Jesus because you do the right things. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you can be a Christian and have a marriage that sucks and be broke and be miserable, and life for you is just pitiful. Welcome to the church in the United States, because nobody wants to do what God said. So God is faithful. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11 through 13. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power, the glory, the majesty, and splendor. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Notice that all riches and all honor come from God. So let's begin with this thought. God's provision are in His promises. God's provisions are in His promises. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. I've got a lot of Scripture to give you. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a great godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you can participate in His divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Notice he says grace and peace are multiplied to you. And in our last lesson, we talked about everything that comes to a believer from God comes on a multiplication system. Secondly, God's power has given to you all things. When you comprehend that, it changes your whole perspective about what really is available to me. How? Through His great and precious promises. Everything that God has in the pantry of heaven is available to everybody who knows how to receive the promises of God. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. So your relationship to heaven, spiritually and materially, produces blessings that are multiplied. And we're talking about a harvest of 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Friends, that is called multiplication. But in securing a harvest, you can't plant nothing and go home and pray for an abundant harvest. Are you aware if you had one penny 
and you multiplied it by two every day for 30 days, you'd have a million dollars. And God brings to you everything on a multiplication system. Listen to this amazing mess, verse uh, 3, that God has already given you all things that pertain to life. That verse says everything you will need in your life and living, God's already made it available to you through His promises. Now, a lot of believers aren't receiving it. You know, if I offer you a gift, you got to receive it before it's worth anything to you. A couple of years ago, some, some wonderful person who came from heaven, I guess, gave me a sports car. I had a choice to receive it or reject it. <laughs> Reckon what I did. I said, thank you to the person and thank you, Jesus, because every good and perfect gift comes from Him anyway. And I'm telling you, no matter what that car was worth or what its value is, it would be worth nothing if I didn't receive it. So there are a lot of promises you are simply not receiving, and I want to help you to get them. So prosperity has been given to us through the promises of God. Now there are over 3,000 promises in God's Word available for you, for your children, for your children's children, for your marriage, for your business, for your well-being, for your emotional health, your physical health, and your financial health. 3,000 promises God says He'll do for you if you will simply obey Him. Let me give you three. Joshua 1, verse 8. This book of the law, that's God's Word, shall not depart out of your mouth. That means you are to confess the blessings of God, the promises of God, His Word. You say what God has promised. Put that in your mouth, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and you shall have good success. Are you saying what you hear on TV, what you heard from a couple of your friends, or are you confessing and saying what God has promised? Secondly, Psalms 1, verse 1, just a quick paraphrase, blessed is the man or woman that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. His leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Are you hanging out with a bunch of doubters, a bunch of negative people? You become like them. Deuteronomy 28, if you will obey my word and keep my covenants and commandments, I will bless you. And we looked at that two weeks ago, coming in, going out, all these blessings will overtake you and run you down. Now God is your Father if you're a believer. He owns and controls everything, and He wants to make it available to you through the promises of His word. The promises of God are your inheritance as a child of God. The new covenant is Christ's last will and testament to us. It's a legal contract. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, they had barely enough. They were slaves. Then they went into the desert where they had just enough every day. Then in the promised land, they had more than enough. Now you've got abundance. How many of you throw food away? That's called abundance. You throw food away. That's more than enough. Joshua 1, verse 2, God says, go over all this people into the promised land. Nobody was left behind. I hope you heard that. All two to three million of these Israelites crossed into the land of abundance. No special group went in. Nobody with, who scored the highest on their uh, GED or SAT scores 
everybody got in. Nobody was left behind. That means everyone in this room who's a believer in Jesus can claim your inheritances in the promises of God. They are not for a special few. They're for all of God's kids. This Word, which is the Bible, is yours. So read it, claim it, obey it, and prosper. By the way, just as a side note, you know who prays the best prayers? You know who prays more effectively? People immersed in Scripture. People who know God's Word pray incredibly strong prayers because they have something they can stand on. They're praying with intelligence and with understanding what God has promised. Well, Lord, I just hope you do whatever maybe you want to do, whatever that might be. Well, please stay out of my room if I'm sick. Okay, don't pray. I don't want you near me. You stay in a car. So as God brought Israel out of poverty from Egypt into the promised land, God wants to bring you and I into our spiritual land of promises. And what the promised land was to Israel, God's Word and promise is our land flowing with milk and honey. All you have to do is walk in His Word and receive what's promised, then just do it. The promises are the expression of God's will. If you're thinking, well, Rick, I don't know if it's God's will to bless me. Well, would you go out in a coffee shop with me? Would you wake up and smell the coffee, Sparky? Of course it is the will of God to bless you, but you don't know about my past. Well, I don't know about your past, but if you're a believer, you don't have one. So would you quit dwelling on it? Would you start believing what God says about what He's done for you? He said, I'll remember your sin and iniquity no more. I love you, and I want to do great things for you. My, pl my plans for you are good. They're not evil to do you good, to give you a hope, and to give you a future. I'm going to believe that. That's what Daddy said. I'm going to say what Daddy said and believe it. God promises to bless His children from Genesis to Revelation. Listen to 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. And this is the confidence that we have in Christ, that if we ask anything according to His will, that means if you can find it in God's Word, He wants you to have it, then He hears us. And we know that if He hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of Him. That verse means that when you know the content of what's available to you, you ask God for it and you receive it. I wonder if you've asked God for your inheritance. Are you just saying, well, I just want to go to heaven? Well, I got bigger plans than heaven. Heaven's for dead people, okay? I, I know it's old, but I, people say, what do you want people to say at your funeral? Like somebody say, look, he's moving. <laughs> I don't know about you, but you, you, I'm just not big into this dying business. That's the last enemy that will be destroyed. So it is not my friend, it's my enemy. So, how many of you, if you had a very rich father, how many of you would go to the reading of his will? Mm-hmm. Well, the Word of God is Christ's last will and testament. Mark 11, 24, therefore I say unto you, whatever things you ask for when you pray, believe and you will receive them and have them. Our God is a faithful God. He never breaks His word of promise. So we've got over 3,000 promises. How many of them have you asked God for? All of God's promises are available to us through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. I'm reading a lot of Bible. Sorry, this is church. For all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen 
to the glory of God. How many? All of them. And they're now available through Him. Jesus Christ is our channel of access. So the question is, are you in Christ? See, God only assumes responsibility for members of His family. But you're not in the family of God until you receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Well, Rick, aren't we all God's children? No, no. We're all God's creation. But I'm not His child until I receive Jesus as my Savior. John chapter 1, verse 12, For as many as received Him, Jesus, to them gave He the power to become the children of God. So I come to Jesus now. I have a heavenly Father. I have access to the promises of God. I'm His kid. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 19 through 21. This is about Abraham. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead. I'm just picking out a few folks, I know. <laughs> that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. You get the picture. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God that he was going to have a son but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded God had the power to do what God had promised. Now, if a guy can hang on a hundred years old, and you're still hanging on with a dead wife and you did, that you're going to have a kid, God's going to deliver, folks. God's delay is not God's denial. If he made a promise, that sucker's coming true. Some of you give up too quick, because if it's not on the table in 15 minutes, your lunch is free. you got to have endurance and perseverance and hang to those promises. If God made a promise, your age, your circumstances don't matter. When you meet God's conditions, your conditions don't matter. I think that's really important for some of you to hear. When you have God's promise, go forward. Take action, and God will not fail you. When Moses was at the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army's approaching behind. The Red Sea's in front of them. They're trapped. It looks like a tragedy's about to happen. But when he held up his rod and started walking out between the walls of parted water, Israel walked across on dry ground. Moses had no doubt God was going to deliver them into the land of promise as he promised, and the Egyptian army was drowned and cut off. Now, in your mind, go with me to the prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel and the sacrifice with 12 barrels of water. Here's the point of that story. It's not the fire that falls from heaven preachers love to preach about. It's about the water. Israel had been in a drought for over three and a half years, a recession. There was national starvation. There were no crops. The cattle were dead or dying. Water was scarce, rare, and precious. So Elijah and the prophets of Baal come up to Mount Carmel, and they're going to have a theological shootout between the God of heaven and Jezebel's false prophets and their God, Baal. And Jezebel's prophets shout and scream and cut themselves all day to get Baal to show up, and Baal doesn't come. Then Elijah does something bizarre. He takes 12 barrels of water. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 barrels of water, and he pours it on the sacrifice. 
Now, the biblical principle we looked at last time was you give what you need. If you need apples, you plant apple seeds. If you want corn, you plant corn. If you want mercy, you sow mercy. If you want finances, you plant finances. Remember God says, give and it shall be given to you. It is whatever you give. Give love, give mercy, give time, give encouragement, give, give finances. You get back what you give, and you get nothing but what you give back. And he's pouring out water like he owns all the water in the world. And what happened? Well, it began to rain and rain and rain all over the nation of Israel, because what he put out, God sent down. See, when you want God to perform, you give what you're looking for, and God will answer in kind. You sow into the area of your need. That's how God does it, all right? So your circumstance has no bearing. Nothing is impossible to those who believe. Jesus said, I mean, the Lord said, test me. See if I won't open the windows of heaven and bless you with blessings you cannot contain. Now, here's a couple of promises you need to hear. Psalms 34, verse 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for there is no want to those that fear Him. All the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Now, think about that. Put that on your refrigerator. Psalms 84, verse 11. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. Notice the conditions. You fear the Lord. You have an awesome respect for Him. I honor Him. I mean, He's God and there is no other. Those who seek the Lord, that means you communicate with Him. You have some time of prayer. Don't get spooky about it. You just talk to God whenever, wherever. Don't wait till a crisis. If it takes a crisis for you to talk to God, He'll keep you in a crisis the rest of your life. Why? Because He wants to hear from you. Walk uprightly. David said, He leads me by pa in paths of righteousness. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. He is the ultimate leader. He will not withhold any good thing from you. So, is the thing you're asking God for good for you? Hmm. Let's start there. It's possible to get what you want and then get destroyed by it, get hurt by it. But if it's good for Jesus, It'll be good for you. Revelation 5, verse 12, worthy is the Lamb, that's Jesus, that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. I'm a joint heir with the Lord Jesus. I inherit everything that He has through the cross. I'm a benefactor of His last will and testament. You have power, believer, over the world, the flesh, and the devil. You are not a victim. You have power over principalities and powers. Whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. You have power over sickness and disease. You have riches, not just spiritual, but material as well. The patriarchs were wealthy men in cattle, gold, and sheep didn't hurt him, I don't believe it's going to hurt me. You have wisdom. If you're in a crisis and you don't have a solution, for God's sake, ask somebody with a brain. Ask God for wisdom. 
James 1 verse 5, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who will give to all men liberty. He, he will make a way where there seems to be no way. He'll send somebody into your life that's got the answer to your need. You pray and ask him, but he'll get that answer to you. Honor. Give honor to whom honor is due. Honor does not mean you have to agree with somebody to honor them. If the President of the United States or the Governor of our state came to our service, we would honor him. It doesn't matter if I voted for him or not, or her. The issue is, I'm honoring that office, I'm honoring that position. God says, do it. The Apostles did it. You are not too cute to do it to honor, to give esteem, to give respect. I don't have to agree with you to honor you. I, I, if my father visits me, he gets the best chair, he gets the biggest piece of pie, and, uh, and, and my father five times divorced, I, I don't have a real high opinion of him in marital enrichment. <laughs> daddy was not a good daddy, but he's still my daddy. So the Bible says, honor your father and mother. They are your life source. You do not have to take their advice unless you're living in their house. But you do have to honor them. And that is a Bible command. And I, I'm a spiritual father. Cindy and I, she's a spiritual mom. So you honor your natural family mom and dad. You honor your spiritual. You don't have to agree with everything to give honor to give due respect, do you? For goodness sakes. But it says honor. I mean, if your kids are calling you old man and old lady, you need to dust their rear end until they get a revelation of who you are. Ain't no kid gonna call me old man, old woman. Yeah, I'm a military boy. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Uh, I can still hear my 92, 97-year-old father in my head. What'd you say, boy? Never did he ever use my name. What'd you say, boy? Then I knew automatically. I missed it. I mean, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's what I thought you said, boy. The military has some good advantages. It really does. I wish about half of you had to go for six weeks. You'd be the best church member and Christian in the world. Yeah, absolutely you would. Yes, sir. And glory. That's the reflection of His radiance. Blessings. You were born to be blessed, born again to be blessed. From Genesis to Revelation, it's God's will to bless you out of your socks if you just meet His conditions. I told you a couple of weeks ago that the doctrine of Propini, which was a Roman Catholic theologian from back in the dark Middle Ages, started a teaching that poverty was holy. I'm telling you, nothing could be further from biblical truth. Throughout the Bible, poverty is always presented as a curse, not a blessing. And it's associated with disobedience. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 12, both riches and honor come from you, Lord, and you reign over all, and in your hand is power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So God is the ultimate source of riches and honor, and He designed it to give to His righteous. He delights in the prosperity of His saints. Why can't Christians just believe God's Word? Why do you argue over clear Scripture? Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, God gives power to get wealth. 
Remember the Lord your God. It is He who gives you the power to get wealth. I heard a story about a man who couldn't sign his name in order to become a high school janitor. So instead, he became a cigar salesman. He was such a great salesman, he franchised himself from city to city and state to state. He became extremely wealthy. He was invited back to the high school where the principal had rejected him as a janitor because he couldn't sign his name. He was going to speak to the student body on the power of success. As they were walking to the auditorium to speak, the principal said, hey, just think what you could have done if you could have signed your name. And the salesman said, yeah, I'd be a janitor right here. You don't have to have a Ph.D. from Harvard to make a good living. You do not. All you have to do is obey the Lord and serve Him, and He'll bless you beyond your wildest dreams. In fact, here's a side view. Cindy, you remember this. Lexington, South Carolina, a man named Sam Fox. He was an older gentleman. He built all the superhighways, the interstate highways in South Carolina. Sam Fox. He was in our church. Such a giving man. However, totally uneducated. If he took me out to eat, I had to sign his name on the bill. He could not write his name, but boy, he could make money, and he was skilled. And I'm saying to you, I remember he had a helicopter, he had a yacht, he took Cindy out on the yacht, and I thought, ain't bad for a man who can't sign his name. He was a tither and a giver, old Sam Fox, I'll never forget him. And I thought, you mean the dude can't even sign his name? So you don't have to have a high SAT score, you don't have to have a college degree. But I hope you got enough brains to just to obey God, do what He said, and what He said will come true in your life. Yeah. Obedience brings prosperity. Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 4, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow His commands that I give you today, the Lord God will set you on high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city. Blessed in Fredericksburg, blessed in the county. The fruit of your womb, children, will be blessed. The crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks will be blessed. How? Obedience. Jeremiah 7, verse 22, obey my voice, and I will be your God. John 10, verse 28, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Are you his sheep? Then he says, you'll hear the shepherd's voice. Why would he say that? Wouldn't mean much to us city people that have never been on a farm or done any kind of ranching. But I want you to look at a YouTube video I pulled up about a real rancher who raised sheep, and tourists are visiting his sheep farm, and he dares them to call the sheep. Watch what happens. One more time. Shh. Pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up. 
Is that the coolest thing? Even a dumb sheep knows who his shepherd is, and he's the one that's going to look after him, going to feed him, care for him when he's sick. Uh, I wish Christians could be that smart. <laughs> my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. You know, if you're hearing the shepherd's voice behind you, that means you're just leading yourself. You know, go back where you left the Lord, because that's where you're going to find the blessed life. Deuteronomy 28, and I'm only summarizing, verse 15 through 68 says, disobedience brings a curse, and he lists one after the other. You should read those. Not being fruitful, not prospering is a curse. Verse 29. You shall be oppressed and plundered continuously, and no one will give to you. See, curses are real. For a believer, not a pagan, for a believer there's an economic curse when you refuse to honor the Lord with His first portion. That's His tithe. God loves you. God will take you to heaven. But the enemy has permission to spoil your harvest. And no matter how much you make, the enemy keeps taking it from you. I know several wealthy people who spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a month in legal fees, a couple of million in settlements, and they're always paying out, paying out, even though they have a high cash flow, the enemy is just stealing tons of it. That can be stopped immediately because they know better than God, and so they don't believe it means anything to have to tithe and honor the Lord with their substance. Honor the Lord with your substance and the first portion of all your increase. Nothing to be clearer. So the enemy keeps stealing. Malachi 3, verse 10, will a man rob God? You'd be better off robbing Bank of America. Yet you have robbed me. You say, well, in what way have we robbed you? God says in tithes and offerings. Therefore, you're cursed with a curse. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Test me. See if I won't give you a blessed life and give you more than you can contain. That's God's promise to you, that we bring the whole tithe into God's house. That's the simple condition. And he says, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. And some of these people are the nicest people. They're my friends. Uh, I've known them for years, and every time I'm with them, they got a new lawsuit. They've got to have a new settlement. They've got somebody, client, that's unhappy, and it's just one expense after the other, after the other. And the enemy's getting it. They're not getting any benefit from it. God's not getting any benefit from it, and the enemy's just stealing it. Why? It doesn't steal their salvation. It just steals their economic prosperity. So you can, you can let the enemy steal your marriage if you want to. Just don't do what he says. Honor your wife as the weaker vessel. Wives, honor your husband. He tells us to dwell with a wife in an understanding way. Ah, you don't want to read it, don't want to do it, fine. Then end up with a kind of a sucky life with children and multiple parents. That's not God's will for anybody's life. 
So if God's got a plan for me to, to prosper in my marriage, my health, my relationships, my business, my finances, I want it. I don't want to walk around uh, uh, the, the tail, I want to walk around the head, and God says, I'll make you the head and not the tail. You do not have to live that way as a believer in Jesus. You have the power of choice. You can choose to rebel, choose to obey. Your choice. And it's not mine, none of my business. So God challenges, test me, prove me, says the Lord. And so your checkbook's a reflection of your soul. Luke 12, verse 34, this is Jesus. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So take a look at your checkbook and see where your heart is. New car, 60 grand. Couple of you, 100 grand. Cruise ship vacation, 15 grand. Dog food, pet supplies for the poodle, $200. Tithe, $10. Yeah. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. So take a look and say, where's your heart? God says, okay, this is a believer. Let that person get passed over for that promotion at work. Send that sales contract, cancel it and send it to somebody else. Let that sale go to someone else. Shut off the blessings. Let the insects eat that crop. Stop the rain. They're not going to have a harvest. They refuse to admit it is the Lord that gives them the power to get wealth. They think it's their own genius. Let's see how smart they feel now. Now here's the good news. We close with good news. Your poverty died at the cross. If you ever get this in your mind, you'll never be the same. Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham may come upon us in Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So at the cross there was a great exchange. Jesus took my sin, gave me forgiveness. Jesus took my death, gave me eternal life. Jesus took my poverty, gave me the blessings of Abraham. He took my sickness, gave me healing. He took my rejection, gave me acceptance. He took me, an outcast, cut off from God, adopted me, and has made us all kings and priests. That means you are a child of the king if you're a believer. The royal blood of heaven is flowing in your veins. You ought to lift your head and shout for joy because you are somebody special and important. At the cross, I received the blessing of Abraham. Genesis 24, verse 1, and the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. We preached a sermon in the bookstore some months ago, maybe a year ago, what is the blessing of Abraham? And we looked at it in three parts, the blessing of promotion, elevation, the blessing of possession, ownership, and the blessing of dominion, that's victory. You do have to fight as a believer, but you get the victory. Abraham is my spiritual father. He tithed to Melchizedek 430 years before the law was given and before Moses was even born. It didn't come with the law. It came before the law, and it was never abolished. Galatians 3, verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the administrator of the estate of God's children. So God is our Father when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Have you made God your Father? When God becomes your Father, all you have to do to prosper, get out of the way, obey, and do what God asks you to do. How hard is that? Jesus exhausted your poverty at the cross. And the curse, Deuteronomy 28, 
is fourfold. Number one, hunger. Number two, thirst. Number three, nakedness. Number four, want of all things. So on the cross, Jesus was hungry. He hadn't eaten for 24 hours. He was thirsty. He said, I thirst. And the Romans offered him a liquid painkiller that would have extended his agony. Third, he was hung naked and shamed. I know artists paint Jesus with a loincloth, but in Roman execution there was no loincloth. He was in want. He had no tomb. He had no burial robe. Christ exhausted the poverty curse so you and I could inherit the riches of Abraham. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, He, Jesus, who was rich, became poor that we, through His poverty, might be made rich. Some say that proves Jesus was poor. Not at all. He was only poor on the cross, taking your poverty curse on Himself so we could have all the blessings and the riches of Abraham. Before the cross, Jesus had abundance. The wise men gave him gold that sponsored he and his family in exile when they had to leave their nation. Judas carried the money bag from sponsors of Jesus that came out of Herod's palace, and Luke gives the name of several of these sponsors. They had a trick. I don't know who came up with the idea Jesus was broke. He had to feed and take care of 12 men. He had a treasurer, and he was a thief, and he's stealing money, and nobody knows it. They got more than I do. If you took 50 bucks from me, I'd know it. How about you? Well, sure you would. I mean, his coat that he wore wasn't something from the Salvation Army. The Romans gambled. They didn't want to tear it as they normally did. It was quite valuable. So Jesus on the cross became poor, so you and I and our sin poverty could now be made rich with the wealth of Jesus. There's just no way to believe the Bible and to believe that you are to be in lack and want and need. That's not possible. So here's the closing summary. Number one, you got two options, poverty or prosperity. Obey, disobey. Number two, it's God's will for every believer to prosper, to have a blessed life. Number three, God's provision is in His promises. You ought to read them. Number four, God has given to you in multiplication, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Number five, God's prosperity is for everyone. Number six, all of God's abundance is available to you through Christ. The curse of poverty was broken at the cross for a believer. Seven, Elijah had 12 barrels of water in a drought. You reap what you give. Number eight, prosperity comes by obedience to God. Deuteronomy 28, if you will simply obey. Number nine, tithing for a believer is not optional. Refuser as a believer allows an economic curse so that the enemy can steal, kill, and destroy your resources. Now, let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. First question, is God your Father? Not unless you've received Jesus as your Lord. And if you have, you become His child. And if you do, you are an heir of God, a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the promises and benefits of Jesus are yours because you are in Him. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com. 
and connect with us on social media.